their Father, what kind of power does the name of Jesus have? It's the only name. Lord, we can look into the future, in the prophetic future, where we'll actually be there. It's the only name. We're at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a powerful name. And Lord, it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we come to worship You today. Lord, we pray that our hearts and that our minds, that our spirits would be open to Your prompting, to Your leading, to Your encouragement. Lord, as we look into Your Word, we pray that it would reveal to us that which You have for us this day, scheduled from eternity past. We thank You, we praise You through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So, worldwide, there are about 387 living virtuoso violinists. Uh, There are tens of thousands who play as professionals, and nobody knows, but they estimate that there are between 3 and 5 million people who play the violin. Do we have any people who play the violin? Okay, somebody, lots of fingers pointing over this way. (laughs) So one of them is among us. (laughs) However, all of them at one time would like to own or at least touch and perhaps to play a violin made by Antonio Stradivari. But there are only 512 of them. That's it, folks. 512. And they have names for crying out loud in the world, in existence. So the prospects are remote. But you know what? It's not their rarity that makes them so valuable or are precious, either one. Although they are rare, it's in, in fact, it's the sound that comes out of them. Stradivari, he handcrafted each one. He used over 80 different pieces of wood, uh, different kinds of wood, in a single violin. And then they would put about 30 coats of varnish on it. And uh, his secret process uh, produced such an exquisite sound that many argue that to this day it has never been duplicated. Well, in 1981, concert violinist Peter Cropper was given the dream of a lifetime. The uh, chance to go on tour... And he was able to use the London's uh, Royal Academy of Music's 258-year-old Stradivarius. But disaster was about to strike. He was so excited about performing the first night that as he went up on stage to perform, he tripped. He fell directly on the Stradivarius, snapped the neck off the top completely in half, Now there were only 511. (laughs) Devastated. Absolutely uh, devastated. Many musicians feel that their instruments, no matter what we think about it, have a soul. And how would you feel if you had been given something loaned to you so rare and precious and it was damaged. You'd be devastated like him. You know, the Academy was very understanding. 
accidents happen. You know, of course, they had insurance and whatnot. But he was inconsolable. And so he made an exhaustive search until he could find a master craftsman who was even willing to make the repair. Now, every master craftsman who works on violins would love to have a chance to work on a Stradivarius, but actually few would. Their entire reputation in the world community would depend on the outcome of that one single violin. So he found one that would, and finally the repairs were completed and he went to the shop with great trepidation and and fear and he looked at it and he was amazed because with the naked eye you couldn't see any damage at all. None whatsoever. But that wasn't the real test, was it? No, the real test was how did it sound? And so he drew the bow across the strings and he was amazed to discover that the sound of this Stradivarius in his estimation was better than it was originally. And... uh, All of that was made possible because of a man. I searched in vain to find this man's name, this craftsman's name. And yet, nevertheless, because he put those broken pieces in the hands of a master craftsman, that instrument was fully and completely restored. Stradivari, like that craftsman, strove for excellence. And he achieved it by, all, uh, by any estimation. The master craftsman achieved excellence as well. And striving for excellence is a familiar concept to us. In the military, it's part of the core values. In the Air Force, excellence in all we do is actually one of the three core values they have. Excellence is, in fact, one of the First Colony Bible Chapel's core values. We strive for excellence, but only Christ has the power to produce that. In 1 Corinthians, we discover that our striving for excellence actually agrees with the Apostle Paul as he tells us there that there is a pathway... Okay, there are many pathways that we can trod, right? And some of them are excellent, but he tells us there's a more excellent pathway. He wants us to excel. He wants each one of us to reach our highest potential. So how does he do this? Well, a little background first in context. In 1 Corinthians 12, he tells us that one of the ways that this is done is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descends on us, lives within us, and as a part of that process, gives each one of us gifts severally as He wills. So that we are gifted by the Spirit of God in order to walk in an excellent pathway. You know, you and I, have we have certain gifts and abilities and talents that for many of us, they were present with us when, when we were uh, young. And some were saved at such an early age, they don't even distinguish the difference between the talents that God gave us at birth as opposed to the talents and skills and abilities that the Holy Spirit gave us upon our salvation. And those are the ones that uh, Paul talks about in chapter 12. For some of us who were saved later in life, 
that became uh, very uh, evident. And it didn't feel seamless. It didn't feel natural or normal. But the Lord blessed. And as you continue to do those things, the Lord blesses in, in developing them. So regardless, the gifts given by the, the Holy Spirit at salvation demonstrate God's uh, generosity of spirit for the common good. But then he goes on in chapter 13, which is where we'll look today, at a more excellent way than spiritual gifts, and that is the way of love. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll look at verses 1 through, and then the the first part of 5. It's on page 959 of the Pew Bible. But we'll begin in uh, 1231 for context where the Apostle Paul says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not boast, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. You know, chapter 13 is known almost to everybody, certainly in the Western world. It's, it's, it, whether a person is in the church or not, whether they have trusted Christ as their Savior or not, everyone, because they've been to a wedding at least once in their life, perhaps, knows this chapter, chapter 13. And unfortunately, or Let me say it a different way. It is so strikingly beautiful that it's often read in its own right. Taking it out of context. But that would be a mistake. What we have here is Paul is literally telling us about the governing principle as to how to walk in this more excellent way. And that is love actuated by the Holy Spirit. And the reason for that is this. Spiritual gifts can become simply a means to an earthly end and result in nothing. All you've worked for, all you've strove for all your life without love becomes nothing but dust in your mouth or splinters in your heart and soul. Without love, it doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are or how wealthy or how uh, altruistic. It makes no difference at all. Your life is spent and has nothing of value for eternity. The way of love is the way of life. J. Vernon McGee uh, put it this way. Write down a string of zeros. Eloquence alone is zero. 
Prophecy alone is zero. Knowledge alone is zero. Faith alone is zero. Sacrifice alone is zero. Martyrdom alone is zero. Six zeros still add up to nothing. But if you add the one to the left, love of that string of zeros, every zero amounts to something. Every believer in here, every believer in, in this room has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the work of ministry in this church and beyond. And when we don't do that, what we do is we actually sabotage the work of God in our lives and in the church. We're to be active. This is something that God has given us this so that we can minister to one another. But Paul knew that it could be misunderstood. It could be misapplied. You know, we can forget that spiritual gifts come from God. And we can begin to think, oh, well, you know what? The Lord used this because I was naturally talented in this way. And that's why. No, no, no. The Lord uses you out of His grace. What is grace? Unmerited. It's unmerited favor. He chose you because He chose you. Period. You didn't do anything. You didn't say, ooh, ooh, look at Him. Because I see the future, He's going to be a great one. Let me grab Him. That's not the way it works. The Lord gifted us. He gifted each one of us so that we might do that. But the problem is, some, go back to chapter 12 and and some of these other places, when we do that, because it's apparent we can act and use our spiritual gifts from self and not from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, He gives it to us, but we can misuse it. We can take advantage of it. And in the case here in the, in the Corinthian church, apparently a lot of them were infatuated with the gift of tongues. And so consequently, some of the members flaunted that publicly. And they began to think that that was more special than the other gifts. And so they began to think of themselves as superior. And the Apostle Paul goes, no, 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 no. He gave the gifts so that the church might function. The reason He gave you the gift, any gift that you have, is not for yourself. It's not for personal consumption. It's so that you might encourage and minister to those around you. Now, not to focus on the misuse of tongues that we saw there, although it's probably the one that's gained the most attention across the millennia, because something as sacred as the gift of teaching is also on that bar. You don't think so? In Titus 2.7, Paul warns Titus. He warns Titus. You make sure that your preaching shows integrity and dignity and sound speech. Now, why would the Apostle Paul warn Titus not to, or to, you know, not to do something if it wasn't possible for him to do that? In other words, I think that Titus, if Titus began to operate out of the flesh, out of self-serving motives, his preaching would probably have been just as good. 
but he would have lost it all. So it comes to this. The controlling mechanism for all these gifts and their exercise is godly love actuated by the Holy Spirit. Paul outlines this in the entire book of chapter 13, we're, uh, chapter, uh, the entire chapter. Uh, and we're not going to uh, get through hardly any of, it, of that, but he, in 14.1, if you drop down there, you'll see that he tells us to pursue it, actually pursue it. And this is a real encouragement to me. And it's an encouragement because it demonstrates that love is not passive. Love is active. And not only that, love is not, this kind of love is not simply an emotion. Now why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. uh, I'll tell you why it's important that it's a verb. And it's because many, because of abuse or neglect, or harm, or some other problem, have literally have defect in their ability to love emotionally. And sometimes that happens so early that it cannot be repaired. And yet the love of God can permeate and flow through any person. Whether they have the ability or whatever their capacity is to feel emotional love, that's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about the love of God that can flow through any person, period. Galatians 5, 22-23, the Apostle Paul detailed for us the fruit of the Spirit. We went through this sometime back in, in detail, but I just want to review a little bit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what? All of those, and I argued this then, I'll say the same thing again today, all of those are actually manifestations of love. When you think about it, joy is love adoring. Peace is love resting. Patience is love anticipating. Kindness is love responding. Goodness is love choosing. Faithfulness is love keeping. Gentleness is really love appreciating the other. And self-control is love resisting sin. Love is the key. Love is the main thing. Howard Hendricks used to say uh, on, uh, over and over again, he would say the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing here is love. So this chapter therefore sets out the main thing right in front of us. How to walk in this excellent, this more excellent pathway of love. How to glorify God and how to walk in a way that's worthy of your calling in Christ. In the past several weeks we saw in the book of Romans that one of the deadliest enemies of Christianity is phony love, hypocrisy. Remember, we looked at that word, uh, which, uh, which this word genuine is a compound of the word meaning without hypocrisy, without acting. And Paul says, let love be genuine. So among the people of God, love must be Pure. It must be real. It must be authentic. Otherwise, we're just hypocrites. 
putting on a facade. You know, we act uh, in a thoughtful way or gracious and, and faithful manner, but boy, let, let it get a little bit tough. Let the waves start rolling a little bit and let the thunder start peeling across our skies and we find out how, how thin that veneer can be. And I'm not, ca- I'm not casting aspersions on that at all. What I am saying is we can't do it. You can't do it. If you try to gin up love, you know, we have this wheelbarrow and it's got a flat. So every now and then I'll pull it out and I'll hook it up to my air compressor and fill it up. And it'll go flat. Fill it up, go flat. Fill it up, go flat. Why? It's, it's because no matter how much air I put in there, the tube is busted. You've got to fix the tube. Who's going to do that? I, our tubes are busted, folks. Only the Lord can come in and take care of that. Paul here is talking about love. Now, the word love that he uses here is not the Greek word eros. Okay, That's a word that's used to describe Aphrodite or, or, or Venus or Cupid, something like that. It describes a more physical or sensual kind of love. It's not always bad by any means, even in the ancient literature. It's the word that would be used for a couple you know, uh, uh, who fall in love. And, and that is our most, in, in our society today, that's our most common understanding of this word love. And yet, I'm going to surprise you, you may know this, that word never appears anywhere in the Bible. Not one time. Ever. It's not the love we're talking about. We're also not talking about this other word, phileo, you know, it's where we get our word Philadelphia, Philanthropist. It means love like having affection for another person. Now that's all over the Bible. That's there. And there's another one. We could go through them all. Uh, storge, which is a family love. This is the kind of love that a family has. And trust me, that is not always an emotional love. <laughs> but it is a love. A love that's difficult to break. No, what we're talking about here is agape love. So what is agape love? Is it an emotion? No. Can it have emotion attached with it? You bet. Is it a a love that is simply some sort of philosophical or idealistic notion? No, not at all. It's a real... Actually, it is more based in action than anything else. It is a love that appeals to the will, to the mind. It's a love that makes a decision to cherish and uphold the object of that one that's loved. In other words, we've heard it many times as doing what is best for the other person. And that's not always what we want to do. That, that's not always the easy thing to do. In fact, sometimes it's incredibly difficult to do the best thing. But you know what? This word is the word that is always used of God. Always. Not a single exception. When love and God are in, uh, together, it's always agape. 
It's the only word that's ever used to describe his love. And interestingly enough, it was a pretty little known word when the Apostle Paul grabbed it. It's probably why he was able to grab it and fill it with this wonderful, beautiful meaning. It's a word that addresses the will, not the emotion. emotions. It's a decision that you make how you are going to treat another person for their best interest, agape. So let's dig a, a little bit deeper here. We've already established that love is the more excellent pathway. Operating in your spiritual gifts absolutely is an excellent pathway, but the more excellent pathway is to operate in those gifts and in community, koinonia, with one another in a way that's characterized by Love. So what Paul does here is he takes some of the most admirable admirable qualities in Corinth and he's going to demonstrate the preeminence, the the, the more excellent. You can't even... the, The superlative, I guess, of love. So in verses 1 through 3 he wrote, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul goes right to the core, right to the center of human pride. This is where hubris comes from. This is the center of the self, and that is the power to know and the power to do. Now that's not always a bad thing. But oh my, it can be. Paul is thinking in in this uh, first part about mysteries and prophecies and knowledge. He's thinking about people who have the ability to think in great depth about the mysteries of life and those kinds of things. Ronald Heflin wrote a book entitled To Unscrew the Inscrutable. And it's a book on the structure of philosophy. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Gordian knots. We're talking about things that cannot be answered at all. And that's what Paul has in mind here. You know, throughout my life I've been asked the same questions. You have too, if you're a Christian. Where did Cain get his wife? Why did God create the devil? Why did God allow injustice and war? Why does evil triumph? All those kind of questions. And you know what? I'll tell you the answer to them right now. I don't know. Somebody who stands up and says, I do... Yeah, they can throw a dart at the board, but they're not going to hit it. You know why? They're inscrutable. We don't know. This is why faith is here and not sight. If we knew, we would be okay. We don't know. I don't know. Do you know? If you know, come and tell me. I can give you some really good theories. I can give you some really good arguments. But to say I know... No, I don't. But this is the point here. Because what Paul is saying is this. If I could answer all those questions precisely and without error, 
If I could explain all the mysteries of why tragedies occur, if I could tell you every question that you ever had about the Bible or about God, furthermore, you know what? If I could move mountains with my faith, if I don't have love, I'm a joke. That's, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that without love, all of that stuff is absolutely meaningless. So the power to know. But then he goes after the power to do. Right? Philanthropy, altruism, self-sacrifice, those kinds of things. Some are willing to sacrifice all their possessions. And some have. They give up everything. And we look at that from the outside and we say, oh, that's glorious, that's wonderful, that's marvelous. But did you know you can give up everything? You wouldn't think so. But in the human heart, as devious as it is, you can give up everything for fleshly, selfish purposes and not for God. That's a, it's just a fact. People can be impressed with your tremendous willingness to, uh, to give or, or, or the sacrifice. Think about this. I was horrified. You know, so I'm looking at this text and I'm going, okay, uh, how many, you know, because the Scripture says it, right? Give my body to be burned, right? So you go, uh, you know, how often did that happen? About 2,000 times a year. 2,000 times a year people pour gasoline on themselves and light it on fire themselves. And you go, that's, that is unbelievable. Surely that's a supreme sacrifice. Surely that's an eloquent witness that that person really believes what they are trying to make a point about. But Paul says that without love, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. At the judgment seat of Christ, it would be regarded as wasted, fleshly, self-centered effort. Love is the important thing. That's what life is all about. I mean, love is not just an ideal to talk about. It's something that demands action. And I think in our own lives, this isn't a new year, but if I was preaching this at the New Year sermon, I would, I would ask this question. You know, looking back over the last year, are you a more loving person? Are you a more patient person? Are you easier to live with? Are you more gracious? Are you... Just go to Galatians 5 or, or look at some of the other attributes here and do those characterize you? Or has it gone the other direction? So nothing can be sat, uh, substituted for it. Nothing at all. No other quality matters eternally if we don't have that one. So Paul give, uh, gives us a very practical pathway when he wrote this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Look, when you look in the text here, you'll see that there are two uh, positives, right? Love is patient. Love is uh, kind. Now, there's some more in the, 
in the coming weeks there's another positive and there's a few other negatives. But what we see here is that love is essentially about patience and kindness. And we do not, we cannot produce this kind of love in our life by ourselves. Only God can do. In fact, what He tells us is, is to, if, if, if we want to be open to experiencing this kind of love, we've got to get rid of some things. We've got to put some things out of our life and through the, the power of God and His Holy Spirit living within us, we can do that. And that is, there are some things that, that, that hinder us. Now, obviously, the first place, this only makes sense if you ex- have experienced the Christ's work on the cross, that the Spirit of God has come in to you, because be, salvation is first. And sanctification or walking this more excellent pathway is second. And it becomes a symbolic uh, picture of how uh, the cycle that we move through as Christians, in fact. We sacrifice these negative expressions, right? And then there's a form of uh, resurrection that comes. Sacrifice always, in the Christian life, sacrifice always results in life. Freedom to experience the power of God in patience and in kindness. And that's the excellent way, the excellent pathway of love. So what are these things that keep us? First, envy. Envy's a big one, right? We're often not patient or kind because we want what somebody else has. Covetousness, right? We're spiteful and short with people because they're enjoying something that we are not. And so we, uh, they have the kind of relationship, they have the kind of financial status, they have the kind of education, they have the kind of physical appearance, or whatever, and because we don't have that, we become angry. You've got something that I don't have, and I want it. And so that, that, that actually strangles your, the love in your heart. Next is boastfulness. Oftentimes... Uh, uh, we're not patient because we cannot, we cannot listen to other people because we can't wait to hear our own selves uh, speak. You know, we want to. We're we we don't even listen to other people. We're just we're just politely waiting until they're done so that we can make our point. You know, if if we decided to do this all a different way, it would be interesting. We'd probably be here for three or four hours if we made this a dialogue. (laughs) So then Paul says that love is not arrogant. Uh, Arrogance uh, is, is, uh, you know, been often said, it's like like pride, right? It's the only disease that makes everybody sick except for the one who has it. (laughs) Arrogance, it, it disdains. It shows a lack of respect. For the other person, ignoring uh, the consequence or how that person will will feel, they don't care about the result. Love is not rude. Rude has the notion of ignoring the rights of of others. That's that's the notion that's here. It, it literally means to be be puffed up, to be haughty. But the the notion is you're pushing others out of the way so that you can have your way. And it, sadly, it it it, uh, its main verbal avenue is, is sarcasm. Love is not stubborn. 
It's not intractable. It's not inflexible. And it doesn't insist that, you know, everybody else has to adjust to it. You know, it's, it's, there's a willingness. A loving person has a willingness to find a way. It doesn't mean a way can be found. But there's a willingness to do that. You know, when godly people, and they, 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 they talk and they say, oh, this and oh, 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 that. You know, when there's an issue that can't be talked about, some, that person, if that person won't, can't, whatever, talk about it, that's self-centeredness. That's coming out of the flesh. It doesn't demand, it doesn't insist on its own way. It takes away that self-centeredness and it gives us a heart of compassion and a heart of love and that's something that we can't do. Why? Because we're broken. Broken. Peter Cropper's commitment to excellence. His commitment to that Stradivarius and the way, the life, the pathway of the musician was complete. I don't know anything about his love for God. I don't know anything about him other than uh, this story and some of the music that I listened to that he that he played. But I do know this. We can be every bit in search of excellence with all the gifts necessary to create a tremendous, wonderful beauty even here. But absent love means nothing. It's just wafts on the wind and it's gone. It's like a vapor. Therefore, let love be our guide. Let love be your operating principle and let love be the excellent pathway that you walk. You know, our souls are infinitely more precious than any Stradivarius. And yet, because of the fall, we are not simply out of tune with the Master. We're, we're broken in half completely. Beyond repair in sin, failed relationship, addiction, bitterness, envy, strife, whatever it might be. And Satan and self want you to believe that you don't even need to ask for forgiveness. Not because that's not what you want to do, but because it's not there. You're past gone and God doesn't care, but that's a lie. Our Lord knew that we could never repair our brokenness except through His infinite love and the sacrifice of the Master Craftsman, Jesus Christ. Perhaps some of you this morning want to change that brokenness. I invite you to take those broken pieces and give them to the Master Craftsman, the Lord God, whose name, at whose name every knee will bow. You are in the right place. You are in the right time. Father, we are deeply indebted to You. It's not even reflected in the word debt. There's nothing, there's no words that we can say that even come close to describing where we were and where you came from to earth to give us life. But Lord, we are eternally grateful and thankful. 
We praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.